Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Our text for our sermon is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your appropriate worship. Also, do not continue to conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you test and approve what is the will of God, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. So, by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but to think in a way that results in sound judgment as God distributed a measure of faith to each of you. For we have many members in one body, and not all the members have the same function. In the same way, though we are many, we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We have different gifts according to the grace God has given us. If the gift is prophecy, do it in complete agreement with the faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then encourage. If it is contributing, be generous. If it is leadership, be diligent. If it is showing mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, here the Apostle Paul tells us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Well, if you've read about the sacrifices of the Old Testament, you know they didn't live. They were placed on the altar and they were burned up where their aroma would ascend to the Lord. So how can you offer yourselves, your bodies, your lives as a sacrifice that is living and remains alive? We'll give four answers to that question as answered in our text today. And so we'll jump into that. Again, I'm going to preach on my translation of the Greek just to bring out a few subtle nuances that usually don't come out in a smooth English translation. The Apostle Paul says in verse 1, Therefore, I'm compelling you guys. I had a difficulty figuring out how to translate that word because he doesn't say, I'm commanding you guys. He doesn't say, you'd better do this. He really says, I'm urging you guys. I'm compelling you. I'm encouraging you, oh brothers. And then he says, through God's tender compassions. Through the mercy God has shown you. He's compelling you to do this through the grace given to you. The, the ultimate death happened when Christ died on the cross for you and rose. And Paul doesn't say this as a guilt trip. Now, God died for you. Don't you think you can at least live for him a little bit? He's actually using gospel motivation. Because you are alive in Christ. Through that, I'm urging you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and well-pleasing. And he says, this is your carefully thought out reverent service. The word used for service there is the Greek word we get for liturgy. It's meant to serve, and it's a, a way that serves in worship to God. So we look at Christ and the fact that he has paid the adoption price, paid for our sins, washes our sins away every day, we recognize he's the, the sacrifice that, that died and he's the one that came back to life. And we go, how can I thank God? That's the proper motivation. 
recognizing God has done everything for you, and so we want to live our lives as a living sacrifice out of thanks to God. Not out of a guilt trip, not because we have to. And you'll notice that Greek word I said, carefully thought out reverent service. In the Old Testament, they were supposed to carefully select the sacrifice, make sure that it was without blemish or defect, because God gets the best, but also because Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, would be without blemish or defect to be our substitute. But when you read the Old Testament, you find out they constantly, whoa, this one's about to die and already has a broken leg. Let's get into the temple real quick. And imagine as you stood in line, we know what it's like when you stand in line at the grocery store, you kind of start zoning out and everything. And Sometimes it's easy to do that even when we go through our liturgy, isn't it? You just kind of end up going through the motions. But in our life of thanksgiving to God, that new man that God has created in your heart that is faith, that clings to Christ crucified, he's constantly thinking, how do I give thanks to God? He's constantly using that law that used to condemn him. He's now using that law saying, this is the ten ways I thank God. And Paul once again gives that gospel motivation in verse 3 when he says, in fact, I'm saying through the grace that was given to me. Paul worded that very carefully. He doesn't say, you better listen to me. I'm an apostle and God has made me over you. So you listen up. No. I, the one who was killing Christians, was made a believer. And it's through that faith in Jesus that I'm encouraging you. Did you get the first answer to the question, how do you offer your bodies as living sacrifices? It's by God's undeserved gift. He gives you the faith. He gives you the motivation. He gives you the new person that is alive in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul continues in verse 2. And so do not continue patterning yourselves to this age. Rather, start and don't stop being transformed in respect to the renewal of the mind with the result that you guys keep on testing what is the will of God, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Paul says a mouthful there. How can you know what is the will of God? And how can you know what is the pattern? Because we know the pattern of this world is that we see through our own eyes and we hardly can see past our own nose, especially if you're like me and have to wear glasses. We have a sinful nature. And the way of this world is the way of that sinful nature. Look out for number one. He who dies with the most toys wins. Again, without that gospel motivation, the new man, we can't do that. But how can we test what is the will of God and what is good and pleasing to him? The answer is the word of God. The word of God tells you what is God's will. The word of God tells you that it was God's will to save you. The word of God tells you it's God's will that you proclaim the forgiveness of sins to others. And so it's actually by being in the word that you're able to say, like in our epistle lesson with the Galatians, no, that circumcision is making my salvation depend on a work that I do. Uh-uh, that's not the will of God. Jesus did that. Now, the amazing thing is, going right back to that grace, that gospel motivation, God has given us the word that we go to regularly that tells us the will of God, but he also had you baptized. 
And when you were baptized, he sealed his Holy Spirit in your heart and that new person in you arose who daily, empowered by that baptism, takes your sinful nature and holds him underneath the baptismal waters and does its very best to drown him out. That's living the opposite of the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is to embrace your sins. And, and let's admit it, most of the time the reasons why unbelievers, if they struggle against doing something that we would consider sinful, it's because there's a law and they don't want to go to jail for it or they don't want to be in trouble with their neighbor. You have a whole different reason. God supernaturally he gave you a new person. So you have a supernatural reason. And let us not forget that in the Lord's Supper, he nourishes you. That's quite a daily wrestling match you have with that sinful nature, and I have. And so he gives us the ultimate protein uh, meal, if you will, and that's that we receive his body and blood in the Lord's Supper. Have you got the second answer to the question, how do you offer your bodies as living sacrifices? It's by being in the means of grace. That's in the word and having baptism and the Lord's Supper. And of course, we do that by God's undeserved gift. Next, the third answer to the question starts at verse three. In fact, I am saying through the grace that was given to me to everyone who is among you guys, not to think more highly of yourselves than what is fitting to think, but to keep on thinking in a matter resulting in being sensible as God distributed to each one a measure of the faith. For just as we have many members in the same body, and yet all the members do not have the same function, likewise we the many are the one body in Christ, and each individual one of us are members with one another. Now, in American history, among Lutherans, there was quite a controversy that involved the right translation of verse 3. And we can easily misunderstood it, but the Holy Spirit is so much smarter than us. He had the Apostle Paul write down what he was talking about immediately in the verses that follow as he talks about being different parts in the body. It's very obvious he's not talking about faith like what you get in baptism where the Holy Spirit is sealed in your heart and you get the new man. That's what we call saving faith. And, and he's not talking about that because he's, you, you couldn't do a good work in God's eyes. You couldn't be a living sacrifice unless God had first given you that saving faith. What's Paul talking about? It's very interesting. In the original Greek, the definite article, that's our English word, the, is missing. He's emphasizing the quality, the trust that God has given to you. And that changes as we were talking as we earlier as we are in the word. Because as your life continues and crosses come upon you, as Jesus is talking about in our gospel lesson, you learn and see in your life how God has held you in his hands. And the next time a similar cross comes upon you, you say, well, God definitely held me in his hands the last time. He'll hold me in his hands this time, even if I can't possibly see how he's going to do it. That's a gift from God. Each one of us are a part in the body. And as Jesus himself says, that just because one part of the body gets jealous and says, I'm not the eye, that doesn't mean it doesn't have its function or that it can be the eye. It's very important for us to recognize that there's only one head in that body. Many a pastor has gone astray by forgetting that Jesus is the head, not him. Many a lay person has gone astray by forgetting that Jesus is the head, not them. But you do have a part. 
You know, I, I had to have my gallbladder removed. Never thought about it before in my life. But when, when it wasn't functioning right, I came to find out that it really does have a major part to play in the body. We can forget our significance. We can feel crushed and brought down. But don't forget that because God has given you faith, he's not only made you a part of the body of Christ that is the invisible Christian church, but he's made you the specific part to fit perfectly like a piece in the puzzle. You have been made a living sacrifice by the part God has made you. Recognize your part and enjoy it. Enjoy the personality and the person God has made you. Don't be jealous of other people. You might as well be yourself because all the other personalities are taken. Enjoy your place. In the body of Christ. So what's the third answer to our question? How do you offer your bodies as living sacrifices? By knowing your part in God's body. He has made you that part. And he's using you to function. Just as he designed you with the gifts he's given you. Which gets us into our last answer to the question. Verse 6 says, And so having different gifts in accordance with the grace that was given to us. Whether prophecy do so in accordance with the aforementioned proportion of that aforementioned faith. Now, you'll notice our translation that I read at the beginning of the sermon says, do it in complete agreement with the faith. And that certainly is in accord with Scripture. And what that would be saying is, if you're prophesying, don't prophesy something that contradicts the Word of God. And there's plenty of Bible passages that says that. But here, that same wording is used for faith, only this time in the Greek, it has a definite article. And the Greek language often does that to say what I was talking about a sentence or two before, back to verse 3. That's why I translate that aforementioned. What's Paul saying here? If you have the gift of prophecy, do it according to your place in the body. I, I always stand back in, in awe at the gifts God gave the prophet Isaiah, for example. Isaiah would prophesy 700 years before Jesus was born the clear passage that he would be born to the Virgin Mary. But when you translate Isaiah in the Hebrew, you recognize Isaiah didn't just prophesy, he prophesied in Hebrew poetry so you could literally sing his prophecies if you were an Israelite. Should I be jealous of the prophet Isaiah? Should I want to prophesy like that? That's not the part God gave me in the body. And that's the point, because the New Testament prophets, we were really told that John the Baptist is the first New Testament prophet and really the last of the Old Testament style prophets. And when we read of the prophets in the New Testament, we hear the word prophecy and we think of predicting the future. And that can be part of it. What a prophet did was tell the will of God, whether it was for the present or for the future. And so, for example, when Paul heads to Jerusalem, uh, the Lord sends a Christian that he'd given the gift of prophecy to, to tell Paul he's going to be bound up and led off to Rome. And when they were waiting for the New Testament to be inspired and written, there were people who were able to prophesy in congregations and say what we're doing is in accord with the will of God or is not. Let me give you a modern day example of what I'm getting about, about Paul saying, if you have the gift of prophecy, use it according to your spot in the body of Christ. Over 10 years ago, it really became popular. There was an explosion of books of people who had thought they died and maybe they did and went to heaven. 
and especially little kids started writing their stories about going to heaven. Well, who are you going to believe the most? And, and let's say the children did actually go to see heaven. Did God call them to be prophets and inspire them as he did, for example, the Apostle Paul or the Apostle John, who write about heaven for us clearly? Maybe it wasn't those people's part in the body of Christ. And, and I bring that up because I remember a few times in my ministry visiting people who had a loved one die suddenly and unexpectedly. And the comfort they were finding was out of what these kids had written, not out of the word of God. And a couple of months ago, one of those kids who was one of the best sellers as an adult came out and admitted that he lied about the whole thing. So maybe God has given you the gift of prophecy, but recognize your spot in, in God's body and, and, and prophesy according to the gift God has given you. He continues other gifts he's given us to use living our lives as a living sacrifice. He says in verse 7, whether serving, do so in the sphere of serving, within the boundaries of serving. The Greek word used here for serving is the Greek word for serving, waiting on tables. What? If you have a gift for waiting on tables, do it only within the boundaries of serving. In other words, when it comes to serving in the body of Christ, even the ability to clean up after people is actually a gift from God. And we do it not to get paid, not to get recognition, but simply because God has given us the gift to serve. And let's apply that gospel motivation there. One of the great, the great motivation we have for serving is the fact that our Savior served us. Like the school janitor who goes off and has to clean up the vomit in the hallway. Jesus took the filthiness of our sin, who, and he was perfectly holy, and he put it on his shoulders, and he died on the cross and rose, beating that for you. And so when we serve, we don't serve for recognition, we don't serve for pay, we serve because God has gifted us to serve. The next gift he mentions is whether one who teaches do so in the sphere of teaching. Some people are meant to teach deep doctrines to the, to the spiritually mature of the Bible. And others are meant to teach children. And even among those who teach children, there are those who are really good at teaching catechism age students. And there are those who are really good at teaching three-year-olds, Jesus loves me, this I know. Once again, why do they teach? Not for a paycheck, not for uh, recognition, but because God has gifted them to teach and he has taught them that they are saved, that he has given them that gift. So verse 8 continues, whether one who encourages do so in the sphere of encouragement. Have you ever had a dark time in your life when the cross was really heavy upon you? I always laugh at one of the stories, Martin Luther, and it's not a laughing matter, but Martin Luther at times was just worked to the point of exhaustion and depression would come upon him. And one time he laid around in bed for days and Katrina had enough. She walks into the room wearing her funeral dress with the veil over her face and he hops up and he says, Katrina, who has died? And she said, God must have the way you're moping around. Now get back to work. Sometimes God gives us the gift of encouraging. And when, like the prophet Jeremiah, the cross is getting heavy and, and we forget that God is standing behind us, how wonderful it is to have a brother or sister in Christ put their arm around our shoulder and say, I know this cancer is getting you. I know this persecution is getting you. But God loves you. And he wouldn't allow this if he wasn't using it for your good and for others. 
And why do we encourage? It's not so that we can get recognition. Once again, it's because God has encouraged us with the forgiveness of sin, with the very love that he has made us his children. He says, one who shares do so in the sphere of generosity. Sometimes it's easier to share when you have more things. And there are people in this life whom God has blessed with a lot of stuff and they are willing to share. But I've also met people who don't have a lot. The kind of people who will give you the shirt off their back if you need it because God has gifted them to share. And again, the motivation isn't because it's always been this way in the world. There are those who will do you a favor, but then they expect twice the favor back, right? God says, "Uh uh-uh. When you've been given the gift of generosity, do so simply because I have been generous. And in our ultimate motivation, you are rich in the Lord. All of heaven and all of earth, all of creation is meant for you because you are a child of God. Sometimes we can be tempted, like when giving offerings, to say, well, things are getting a little tough, so I'll give an extra few bucks in the offering plate, and then hopefully God will return tenfold for me. But what he's saying here is, if God gives you the gift to share, do so simply out of the generosity that God has given you. And then he says, one who leads, do so in the sphere of eagerness. There's only one head of the Christian church, but... God does make many of us leaders. He gives us the gift of leading. But why do we lead? Do we lead so that we can turn around with our boss and say, look, I've been president of a congregation. Don't you think you can make me CEO? No, eagerness. Eagerness to serve the Lord and see his body properly following the voice of the Savior come, come. There are lots of decisions we have to make in a congregation. And lots of times those include things like financial decisions where God remains fairly quiet. He says, that I've left up to you. And so it's nice to have those voices that speak up and lead and say, maybe we should use this money to to reach out with the good news of salvation. So he says, "Let, let your motivation there do leading all within eagerness. And then the last one he says is, one who shows mercy, do so in the sphere of cheerfulness. Now all Christians show mercy. We're talking about somebody who's especially gifted to show mercy. And he's to do it, not the way, because lots of times we can get hurt by someone who say, well, I guess I have to forgive you because God tells me I do, but don't kid yourself. I'm going to harbor a grudge and I won't forget this. But what's our motivation here? In the sphere of cheerfulness. It really is a blessing because some people, they're just born with a bitterness that they really have to fight against. It's their pet sin. But others, some people have a personality God's given where it's just almost impossible for them to hold a grudge. Let him be cheerful, cheerfully showing God's mercy and sharing God's mercy as he has gifted them. So how do you offer your bodies as living sacrifices? Using the gifts God has given to you with the motivation simply to serve because he served you. So as we've answered that with four answers in today's text, we ask the question, how do you offer your bodies as living sacrifices? By God's undeserved gift, his grace. He's given you the faith. He's given you salvation. And so we use God's means of grace. The word tells us what is his will. So we're able to test it. Our baptism empowers us with the new man it's given us. And he gives us the protein shake for that fight with the Lord's Supper. By knowing your part in God's body. God created you at this time in this place to use you where you're at. Don't resent it. 
rejoice in it. And of course, since you are a part of the body, you have a function, you have gifts, so use your gifts and you will be living your life, giving your body as a living sacrifice. Amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, you are wise and powerful, good and gracious. Your mercies are new every morning. Each day you open your hand and provide for the needs of your children on earth. We praise you for every grace and blessing. Strengthen your church in all the world. Let your comforting message of salvation in Christ Jesus be proclaimed to troubled souls everywhere. Use our ministries and offerings to extend your healing and your hope. We bring you our request for the various structures of our society. Bless our national, state, and local governments. Grant us civil servants who are worthy of honor and respect. Grant prosperity to our businesses and industries. Give employers a sense of fairness towards their workers and employees a feeling of joy and pride in their workmanship. Help us find satisfaction in all work well done. Invigorate the schools of our land. Give success to every effort that helps students read, think, and communicate in ways that will promote an informed and responsible citizenry. Arouse curious minds to discover the wonders of your created order. Give us teachers and students who pursue excellence. Strengthen the families of our country. Give fathers and mothers a renewed commitment to be good parents. Give children and young people the wisdom to regard their parents as your representatives. Lead us to love one another as you have loved us. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Gracious Father, we pray boldly as Jesus taught with the confidence that you will hear and with the faith that you will respond for our welfare. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace.
Amen.